1: Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound
2: On. You're the president of the United States. You can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified, even by thinking about it. Which
3: door do you want to go through? The one that has the dragon, or the one that has the crocodile, or the one that has the flesh ripping bats? I think they're all pretty unpleasant for Donald Trump.
1: Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy,
3: and perspective from DC's top names.
4: I'm not walking away. From $360 billion for saving the planet.
3: So is the point that Republicans are stupid and Democrats are intellectual?
4: Absolutely not.
3: Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio.
1: A federal appeals court rejects Donald Trump's story that he declassified the documents. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as the Justice Department is cleared to use 100 now classified papers that were found at mar-a-lago and its criminal investigation into the former president we'll discuss the mounting number of legal cases against donald trump with bloomberg's mike dorning and with rebecca Royfe, former assistant district attorney in manhattan Republicans respond to the documents case by taking aim at the National Archives. We'll talk about that with our panel. Bloomberg Politics contributor and Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano today joined by Republican strategist Doug High. And Kevin McCarthy set to roll out his answer to the contract with America tomorrow. Bloomberg's Emily Wilkins spoke with Newt Gingrich about it and joins us later. These are busy days for Donald Trump's legal team, and they just got busier uh, for investigators at the Department of Justice now after a federal appeals court late last night cleared DOJ to use 100 classified documents that were seized at Mar-a-Lago for use in the criminal investigation. This after they were barred from doing so. Remember when the special master was appointed to review what was in total about 11,000 documents that were retrieved by the FBI. Why? Because they're classified. And of course, well, that's not what Donald Trump has been saying. This is him last night on the Hannity program on Fox News.
2: If you're the president of the United States, you can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified, even by thinking about it, because you're sending it to Mar-a-Lago or to wherever you're sending it. And there doesn't have to be a process. There can be a process, but there doesn't have to be. You're the president. You make that decision. So when you send it, it's declassified. We, I declassified everything.
1: Uh, the, the three judges on the appeals court, including two appointed by Donald Trump, rejected the idea that he had declassified the documents either in his mind or having told someone. Joining us uh, to help set the stage for this conversation, because there are a number of tentacles here and certainly a number of cases. Bloomberg Politics reporter Mike Dorning. Great to have you back, Mike. The special master has set his timeline in this documents case. And the Trump legal team has only a couple of weeks to report back. And I wonder what that means for the the overall timeline in the case with the great story that you helped to write. Garland faces, of course, our Attorney General Merrick Garland faces only lousy options in eyeing charges against Trump. Do you expect to hear something in November, December from DOJ?
5: It's quite possible we could hear something soon after the election, although it might also take a little bit longer. Uh, People, current and former Justice Department officials, believe they already have enough evidence to charge him with obstruction of justice and quite likely could swiftly have enough evidence to charge him with mishandling classified documents. Now, sometimes... Before they charge someone, they want to complete or have a good idea of the damage assessment, mm-hmm. which inform, can inform the decision about charging and also is useful to reflect in the charging documents. So some people have told me that might take a little bit longer. Okay. But having this court decision removes an impediment.
1: Yeah, I mean, this, this uh, just got a little bit quicker after what happened last night, correct?
5: Indeed, yes. They can move – Faster with the damage assessment because they have the classified documents.
1: I think we've talked about this unwritten rule at DOJ's 60 days uh, before an election, everything. It's kind of a quiet period. Um, And, of course, that was not the case with the the Hillary Clinton emails a few years back. Uh, But there isn't one after the election, right? Could this come at any time in November? Could come
5: any time after the election. And Merrick Garland is a meticulous, by-the-law book, by-the-policy-manual kind of guy. Mm-hmm. He's not likely to sort of go off on some uh, you know, flamboyant tangent.
1: You've also made clear, though, in your piece that even if Garland determines he has enough evidence to prove Trump guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, that does not mean that we're going to get an indictment.
5: It doesn't necessarily mean it. The, the attorney general does have prosecutorial discretion, and he can factor in you know, other... Um, so other matters in his decision. Now um, there is also this whole threat of <clears throat> violence, which Trump was alluding to in an earlier interview with Hugh Hewitt, where he yeah, said, "You right. know, if you indict me, they were going to have the worst possible problems in this country." And there, sure. are, well, we saw January sixth. There was some some popular people who would go along with that. Mm-hmm. That's something that he may have to factor in. Um, He may he he may not decide to sort of he may decide that that's not a decision that he should a factor that he should include. But it's up to him whether he includes that or not.
1: right, Mike. Great reporting. Thank you for being with us. Mike Dorning, Bloomberg Politics Reporter. As we add to the fray, Rebecca Roife, I've been looking forward to this conversation. Law professor at New York Law School, former Manhattan assistant district attorney with a great sense of what's really going on here. Rebecca, welcome. Uh, I think uh, Lawrence Tribe put it this way earlier today on Bloomberg. Uh, you've got behind one door the killer crocodiles, behind another one scary dragons, and then the third door is flesh eating bats. When you consider all of the cases against this president, uh, not uh, it, it, the least of which is coming from New York State, as we learned yesterday from uh, your attorney general which is the most potentially uh, damaging, which needs the the quickest attention from his legal team
6: now?
7: Uh, That's a really hard question. I don't know. I feel that the walls are kind of closing in on all fronts, and it remains to be seen how serious some of the criminal investigations are, but at least it's more clear now um, what the attorney general is doing and how threatening that is to him and his Business, So at least that one's more transparent, the threat.
1: As you hear this ruling uh, from last night, it's, it's really interesting uh, in terms of the documents case from Mar-a-Lago. Because of this appeals court ruling, is it now impossible for Donald Trump to say that he declassified these documents?
7: Well, I you know, I don't think it's impossible for him to say that. I, you know, part of the part of what the appeals court said was, you know, he's been saying this out in public, but right. he hasn't made any representation his lawyers haven't made any representation as part of the record, and that's of course key in part because any representation on the record would be subject to um discipline for the lawyers if they were lying and to, you know, potential perjury charges. So, of course, it's um, you know, somewhat telling, I think, that he has made this claim in public, and there hasn't yet been any claim on the record. Um, but it doesn't preclude him from later on bringing, bringing up this argument. I think it's just, you know, basically what the court was saying was, look, if you're not going to tell us now which documents are declassified and how they were declassified, then we have no choice but to go with the uh, Department of Justice's assertion that if it, a daunted face says it's classified, then it's
1: classified. I can't really imagine the conversations behind closed doors uh, among Trump's legal team. The special master today has now ordered uh, the former president's lawyers to state in a court filing whether they believe FBI agents lied about documents seized from Mar-a-Lago. They need to be on the record apparently by the end of the month, September 30, whether they believe any of the seized items were incorrectly described uh, on the list, as the former president has suggested in both cases. Uh, <laughs> who's your boss in this case when, when you're a lawyer for Donald Trump? Because they're not always telling the same story that he is.
7: Right. No, 100 percent. I mean, and your client is always the person that you serve, but you are have to abide by um, court rules and you have to represent that your client within the bounds of the law and so these lawyers are struggling to do that without you know doing some damage to their client but they have a client that's not easy who's not easy to control and a client who's very interested in the narrative um the public narrative and the you know his, his public opinion and is trying to um manage that in a way that in some instances like the one you mentioned could very well hurt his right. legal case and so, so you know so far he's done a great job of at least with his supporters convincing them that you know th- th- that this is all a witch hunt but the question is whether that will survive within um, our court system and i think you know you're, what you're seeing now is that it's not faring as well as he might have
1: thought well it sounds to me like the special master might not have been the best idea as you look back at some of the legal maneuvering on his side was that a, was that a poor move
7: I think it was a poor move. I mean, it, you know, it it, it, it it didn't really get them much. It wouldn't have gotten them much, even if the special master were continuing to review those 100 classified documents. And so, um, you know, and, and yet it sort of boxed him into a corner where, as you said, there is a spotlight on the fact that he hasn't made certain assertions in court that he yeah. is making out in public and a lot of, you know, reasonable conclusion that if he's not willing to make those statements in court, that's because they're not
1: true. Are you able to count the number of cases against Donald Trump right now? I mean, we're thinking, what, four legitimate legal <laughs> yeah. fronts uh, against the former president? Because you've got Georgia, uh, the, the the case in Georgia. You've got the case in New York from yesterday. You've got two separate cases from the Department of Justice on overturning right. attempts to, to the overturn the election.
7: Criminal, the New York State criminal investigation. That's right. So we're at a half dozen. Man, Manhattan District Attorney has said it's continuing. So wow. even though a lot of people looking from the outside thought that was petering out, it's not clear.
1: Rick Davis uh, on the program yesterday referred to death by a thousand cuts. I mean, is it plausible that a lot of these will be resolved at the same time and between now and the presidential election?
7: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's possible, but it does seem like many of these are fairly serious, and that the amount of proof that the investigators have in each different case, you know, mm-hmm. it varies. But it seems that like at least some of these cases are fairly strong, and so how he can withstand these and whether he his, he can he can continue to have a political future despite them remains to be seen. Wow, incredible.
1: Rebecca, thanks for joining us. Rebecca Roifey, law professor, New York Law School, former assistant DA in Manhattan, who has a sense of what is going on in that office with us here on Sound On. Keep in mind that the, the former president has said that the FBI planted items when they searched Mar-a-Lago. And of course, as you heard just as recently as last night, said he declassified all the documents that we're talking about. i just thinking about it as Enough to declassify. We're going to put this to the panel next. Jeannie Shanzano is with us, Bloomberg Politics contributor. Joined today by Doug High, Republican strategist. On the fastest hour in politics, I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.
6: Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com.
1: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at Forum.com.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So now that they've Clear DOJ to get back into the documents. They're probably sorting through them as we speak right now. A hundred, remember, classified papers taken from Mar-a-Lago. Not going to be under the auspices of the special master. And as Mike Dorning just told us, well, that means we could actually hear about this. There, there could be an indictment or not. Word from Attorney General Merrick Garland. Basically, immediately after the midterm elections, we could be at the front of November where we actually have a real sense of this. Let's assemble the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano is with us, Democratic analyst, joined today by Republican strategist Doug High, former deputy chief staff to Eric Cantor, former RNC communications director, and a friend of the program. It's great to have. Uh, both of you guys here, uh, Jeannie, this is just uh, kind of every day. It seems like another degree warmer for Donald Trump. And as we were at least attempting to count on the air with Rebecca Royfi now, basically a half dozen a uh, pretty important cases uh, against Donald Trump as he prepares to make a decision about whether to run for president. This one uh, could be coming soon. What what kind of a change would that make in the landscape, the electoral Landscape coming out of a midterm cycle, and going into a presidential election—it's
8: absolutely stunning. I was listening to you count up the number of cases facing him, and and I had gotten four, and then she added this fifth one, and I thought, my <laughs> gosh, we forgot—I forgot all about that one. Yeah. you know, it, it's it's right. absolutely stunning. The the uh, decision by the appellate court yesterday was a knockout blow. The De- Department of Justice got everything they asked for in that, and they really shut down Judge Cannon and they you know we have to remember that the trump team did this to themselves and so it's going to be a real problem for republicans um donald trump will likely keep fundraising off this he likely runs um Mm. but you know who this is a good thing for democrats and that is bad news for republicans because we know democrats don't have a lot going for them these days but donald trump is one thing that keeps delivering for them so for republicans this has got to a very frustrating moment
1: so i'm just kind of fascinated doug by uh this reaction from uh the right to go after the national archives to sort of demonize the national archives much in the way they they that some republicans have with the fbi the whole you know defund the fbi thing following the mar-a-lago case listen to donald trump talking about it last night in that hannity interview here he is
2: now i declassify things and we were having a lot of problems with nara you know nara Uh, is a radical left group of people running that thing. And when you send documents over there, I would say there's a very good chance that a lot of those documents will never be seen again.
1: NARA being the National Archives and Records Administration, not the museum on the mall, although they are the same agency. Uh, Doug, uh, Josh Hawley tore into the nominee to to run the National Archives and Records Administration uh, in a confirmation hearing yesterday. Is this, is this a new thing to, for, for Republicans? Are you hearing about this to demonize the National Archives, seemingly the most benign agency in Washington?
3: No, it's not a new thing at all. This is everything we've seen with Donald Trump once it was clear that he was going to be the nominee. If hmm. you want to play Donald Trump's game, then you have to back him up. And that means if he calls your wife ugly, you're going to be OK with it. It means if the National Archives is the new target, so be it. You know, there's this old expression in politics. We say politics ain't beanbag. If you're dealing with Donald Trump, politics is beanbag and you win if other people think that it's checkers or three dimension chess. If they're playing a different game from you and all you're playing is beanbag, as long as you don't go to jail, You're going to do okay. Now, it's an open question. Is he going to go to jail or someone else? No one really knows. But the rest of this is the same conversation we've been having for years. Nothing has changed. It does
1: seem like an odd target, though, does it not? I mean, I appreciate the spirit of your comments, and I love your passion. Sure. But really, the National Archives? Like, you know, wasn't that the, uh, what was it, the National Treasure movies? Uh,
3: What is going on here? Anything that Donald Trump can create as an enemy will be the enemy. And if you if you feel that you need to have Trump's backing or the backing of the really Trump part of the base. So if you're Josh Hawley, you know, parts of uh, Missouri that are very Trump centric more than they are Republican centric. If you want to play Trump's game, you got to back him up. Yeah, that's it. Again, it's beanbag.
1: Listen to Senator Josh Hawley uh, questioning. Uh, the, this is the nominee for U.S. archivists. So you know you're this is the job at the National Archives, Colleen Shagan, I believe is how you say her name, about this article that she wrote for American uh, the American Political Science Association uh, that that had a title that he was upset about and he thought it was demeaning to Republicans uh, anti intellectualism in the modern presidency. Let's listen.
3: You're someone who has denigrated Republican presidents, every two term Republican president, I think. I think I hope I'm not leaving anybody out that has, since the, since the Second World War, and their voters, in this lengthy article. I mean, I just don't understand. If you wrote it, why won't you stand behind it?
1: Thank you, Senator. I, I will stand by my long experience over 15 years of nonpartisan service.
3: You know, this is, this is not just a theoretical set of questions, because as you know, We have seen what happens when you have political activists in the position that you are up for confirmation for, and we are living through that as a nation right now. We are living through the weaponization, the political weaponization of the National Archives.
1: The political weaponization of the National Archives, Jeannie, is she gonna need, if she gets confirmed, a bodyguard? (laughs)
8: <laughs> you know, they I'm are kidding. taking yeah, taking on this political scientist. She has a wonderful record. It's a great article. And Josh Hawley should take a moment to <laughs> read it. And he wants to talk about <laughs> anti-intellectualism. Don't get me started, well, Joe Matthew.
1: Amazing. Jeannie and Doug will be back as our panel on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. It's set for 9.30 tomorrow morning in a suburb of Pittsburgh. What House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy hopes will be his agenda as speaker, as he will talk to voters about why they should vote Republican in the upcoming midterm elections. Helping to animate this for us, uh, none other than Emily Wilkins uh, with Newt Gingrich today, lost in the corridors of power on Capitol Hill. Emily, it's a good thing you were there. I, I heard the recording. They were looking for the elevator and you were just in the right place at the right time. Welcome back, by the way. Bloomberg Governments, Emily Wilkins. Tell me about the uh, commitment to America. This is sort of the agenda for for what he foresees as his future Congress here. <laughs>
9: Yeah, so, you know, Newt Gingrich had the contract with America. Uh, yeah. Kevin McCarthy now has the commitment to America. And basically what it is, is it's sort of a, a top-line document. It's a messaging document, really, right now that's kind of identifying the areas that Republicans are planning to legislate in if they win the majority in November, which, Joe, is likely to happen right now, just from yeah. any election forecaster is really pre- predicting that. So this is going to be something that they're going to roll out. I, I asked uh, former Speaker Gingrich today uh, Uh, Whether he thought that it was a good idea for Democrats, sorry, for Republicans, rather, to be messaging on policy or rather kind of making themselves um, showing the opposite of the Biden administration. He claims there was detail in there. Yeah, I mean, he does. He does talk about about the detail. And one of the things I heard from members was saying, look, we do have a lot more details, but we. Don't want to bog down our message with all these specific bills. We have the bills. We will roll them out in due time. Right now, we need to keep our message to what the American people want to hear. Okay. So, and the American people, you know, they're busy folks. They don't want to get too bogged down in the weeds quite yet.
1: Well, paint the picture for us. You're in the, the you knew that New Gingrich was there to talk to the Republican caucus, right? He was there to see or, help endorse this plan in front of members. And you're down there sort of staking things out in the basement of the Capitol. And there he is, right? He'd spend a little bit of time with him walking down the hall. That's what we're going to hear. I thought
2: it was a remarkable rollout. As it's much more sophisticated than what we did in 94 with the contract. It's a real blueprint for governing. And I thought the level of member support was amazing.
1: Okay. So that's quite an endorsement. Uh, Emily, he did find the elevator, right?
9: He did indeed find the elevator. Um, and, 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 I mean, more so. I mean, I think it was really, uh, he, he talked to Republicans today. They all had a big meeting ahead of this rollout of this plan tomorrow, and he really didn't endorse it. And this isn't the first time that Newt Gingrich has been a part of this. When Republicans uh, held their retreat to discuss this plan a little bit more back at the start of the year, Newt Gingrich was also there talking with them about the plan, the importance of the plan, uh, and really kind of, uh, kind of giving them the the motivation uh, to go through it, because this is something that members have really been involved in. We had seven different task forces working on this for more than a year uh, to kind of put out the, uh, the, the bare bones of what we're seeing tomorrow.
1: If Republicans don't win the majority, does this go back in the drawer?
9: Um, it could possibly could. I mean, I will say that nothing in this document that I've seen yet is exactly groundbreaking. I I think it does talk about Republican priorities, but it's stuff that I think most people are aware that Republicans support and that they want to work on. So I'm sure that if Democrats do and we'll see Republicans mostly do what they've done this year, go ahead and introduce their own bills, introduce their own plans, but you're not going to see traction and movement on those
1: want to ask you about uh, what's happening on the other side of the aisle here. Of course, Emily covers uh, leadership for us at Bloomberg and for Bloomberg government. And Nancy Pelosi uh, held her briefing today, uh, Emily, and started talking about this this deal with Joe Manchin that has had everybody pretty upset. And we've talked about it quite a bit this week. It's got Democratic progressives, you know, getting together with Republicans to defeat this uh, permitting uh, reform bill that he just dropped in the last 24 hours. Nancy Pelosi, though, and of course, he made this deal with Chuck Schumer to get the so-called IRA, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, passed. It's got everybody upset, though, because they see a backroom deal. They see him enriching himself. Uh, he has been on the defensive lately. And Nancy Pelosi today did make clear uh, that she supports this deal, though it could go through some gyrations. Here's what she said.
4: The agreement, which I think was I'm, I'm willing to support, yes. But we'll have to see how it comes back from the Senate. And there may be room for negotiation. But I'm not walking away from $360 billion in, in support for saving the planet for our children.
1: Referring to the climate uh, components in the Inflation Reduction Act. This is getting real wonky and way into the weeds here, Emily. But this, is, this legislation, this permitting legislation from Joe Manchin was to be attached to a bill to fund the government passed. Uh, September 30, when the lights go out. Is anyone talking about a government shutdown?
9: Not yet, Joe. And I, I think you're you're really asking, though, the right question here, because we are in crunch time right now. We don't have the text of a legislation. But I think Pelosi really coming out and saying that she backed this proposal, that's pretty significant because yeah. she's telling liberal and progressive members in her own caucus, hey, I know that you might not be a big fan for it, but we need to keep the government funded there's a lot Mm -hmm. of good stuff that we've passed and that this is a fair compromise to get folks like mansion as well as other centrist members of their party on board
6: well
1: she says i'm not walking away from this money that money is that that's a law now right i mean it's not like she's just trying to make good on on chuck schumer's end of the deal is that fair
9: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, Pelosi and and Schumer, they do try and work together. They try and collaborate. Um, And so in this particular guard, it seems like she kind of has his back here in terms of what they're doing. And also, I think there is there's a sense that even among progressives who aren't pleased with uh, Manchin's energy permitting uh, bill that would expedite some of these uh, permits and, and expedite some of these environmental reviews, members still ultimately want to fund the government. There aren't Democrats who want to see a shutdown
1: weeks before the midterm elections. I can't quite imagine it. But then again, we've seen a lot of different things these past months. Emily, great to talk to you. Thanks for coming in as always. uh, She'll be with you tomorrow here on sound on Bloomberg government, Congress reporter, Emily Wilkins. I want to hear what the panel has to say about this. Jeannie Shanzano and Doug high with us, our political panel on sound on today as Kevin McCarthy prepares to take the wraps off the commitment to America which, geez, you just heard Newt Gingrich says that's even better than the contract with America. And it's just three letters, so you know it's got to win. Our panel up next, will check traffic and markets for you, too. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.
6: Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The contract with America was unveiled in 1994, 28 years ago. I only mention that to make you feel old, because I just looked it up and now I feel old. To enter Kevin McCarthy almost 30 years later with the seal of approval from none other than Newt Gingrich delivering the new agenda tomorrow called the commitment to America. Let's reassemble the panel. Jeannie Shanzano is with us, who definitely cannot remember back that far, Bloomberg Politics contributor, and today joined by our friend Doug High, Republican strategist and former RNC communications director. Uh, Doug, you surely don't remember that either, but 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 if you did, I wonder if you see parallels here and or if Kevin McCarthy is is pushing this a little too far with the messaging.
3: No, I don't think he's pushing it too far. Uh- You have a choice in these situations of either give something of what you're for or just run against the opposite party. The temptation is often to just let the other party implode on itself, which makes some sense. But I think Republicans have opportunities here to define themselves on three issues even further, inflation, uh, crime, and the border. And if, if if the conversations on those three issues, even if Republicans don't have a fully fleshed out plan on inflation, they don't, and neither does the White House, then, If that's what we're talking about, Republicans are going to do well. And at a time when, uh, if you look at the toss-up seats that are out there, there are 31 toss-up seats, which means Republicans only need to win six out of the 31 to win control of the House. This is a potentially a good way of doing it.
1: Uh, interesting uh, point here. The difference being, though, that Newt Gingrich had essentially unanimous support from his Republican caucus, right? Can Can Kevin McCarthy put that together?
3: Sure. I think that's one of the challenges is what goes into that document, because, and it, this is one of the reasons that we never had a replacement bill when I worked in the House, was everybody liked their idea best. And yep. these were of right. the serious legislators, a, a Dave Camp, a Fred Upton, a Paul Ryan, you know, mm-hmm. not some of the bomb throwers, uh, which the House is more populated with now. Sure. Uh, they like their ideas best. And that's certainly common in politics. But if you have a document that everybody can be unified on, or a large majority of your party can be unified on, and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene's going to be there in Pittsburgh tomorrow, also smart to take it out of D.C., uh, then you can move forward and be unified in this, and I think that can help.
1: Interesting. So before I bring Jeannie back in, though, you do expect him to be speaker, or this conversation's pointless, right?
3: Well, I I think we need to see what the majority is. We need to see what Donald Trump does. You know, One thing about Donald Trump, and to our earlier segment, is... You've always got to back him up, yeah. but that doesn't mean that Donald Trump is always going to back you up. And so there are variables here, but Kevin's doing everything that he can uh, to run through the tape.
1: Wow. That's well, that's certainly not a yes, uh, Jeannie. Is this exercise uh, worth the time to feed the message for midterm elections or is this more about Kevin McCarthy beginning his sort of would-be speakership?
8: You know, when I heard about this, it, it, it was Interesting because, you know, Kevin McCarthy seems to be, you know, thinking back to a time during which, you know, somebody like a Newt Gingrich could come out and put a plan like this forward and get that unification that you were just talking about, you know, and that's what Kevin McCarthy obviously wants to emulate. That's the kind of speaker he hopes to be. But what I'm thinking is the challenge is going to be just what you guys were just talking about. How do you keep this caucus together? I am far too young to remember the, the contract with America. I wish I could right. say that, Joe, but I, I actually can remember it. Um, but let's not forget, that was in the 1990s. That was well before social media. Now you have members like Scott Perry. You have members like Lauren Boebert. You have members... <laughs> that will go out on their own, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, and use social media. Mm -hmm. So they are going to have a voice of their own. And some of them have not even expressed much commitment to this already. And that is going to be the challenge for him, him, keeping this caucus together, particularly those Trump supporters for whom this is not going to resonate. So I'm curious to see if it works. I think he's hearkening back to a time that doesn't exist Mm. anymore at this point. Wow.
1: How about that? So uh, what are you hearing uh, about that race right now, Doug? Because certainly names are lining up uh, for a potential speakership. It, w- is there anyone who can come close to Kevin McCarthy right now in terms of turning out votes?
3: Um, well, it's not even a question of turning out votes. It's it's really about raising money. Uh, you're not hearing a whole lot, even privately, on the race because it's not acknowledged that there is one. And certainly Kevin's office doesn't want to talk about it. and. Yep. If you're Steve Scalise, it doesn't benefit you to talk about it. So, you know, there's been more focus on, say, what the House uh, whip race is going to be with three Mm -hmm. or four people looking at that. Um, Elise Stefanik pulling out of that race, looking at the Ways and Means chairmanship. That's where a lot of the conversation is. And again, in part of that is uh, we have to see what the majority is and then what the challenges are from there. But Kevin's doing everything he can politically uh, to demonstrate to his conference that he's done what's necessary.
1: Well, we'll have a lot more on the speech, of course, tomorrow here, as you would expect on Bloomberg Sound on uh, a four part plan being rolled out. And it's no uh, it's no accident uh, to Doug's point where this is happening in the great state of Pennsylvania. I want to ask you both about a race uh, in Michigan and specifically a candidate in Michigan. Uh, the, the Republican nominee who actually beat the incumbent, Peter Meyer, uh, backed by Donald Trump. Uh, His name is John Gibbs, and he made some uh, some, I will say, comments, but they were writings many years ago that have become a big story today. Thanks to CNN. Uh, It's it's really something. This is when he was, uh, I guess, in college. He was at Stanford 2000 and 2001. He founded a think tank called the Society for the Critique of Feminism and argued that women did not, quote, possess the characteristics necessary to govern said men were smarter than women because they're more likely to think logically about broad and abstract ideas he wrote uh he questioned and in fact believed women uh uh, should not be allowed to vote and believed that the suffrage movement damaged the country uh this is john gibbs in an ad
3: so i I often say that this election is not even going to be democrat versus republican It's crazy versus normal.
1: So it's really something. (laughs) Okay, so that's that's actually on the Huckabee program. Forgive me. This came up today in the briefing with Nancy Pelosi. They're talking about legislation, policies, so forth. The last question is on this, whether she heard about this and what she thought about the impact that it might have on the race if she had any reaction to this idea that women should not be able to vote. Here's what she said.
4: What do I think of that? I think I hear something like that every day around here. When people say that women shouldn't be able to make their choices about contraception or their own reproductive health, that's a sign of disrespect for women. What he's saying is outrageous. I don't think many members of here would subscribe to that. But the insult to women's intelligence is one that exists in many forms around here.
1: Pretty heavy. She would left the podium after that. Pretty heavy reply uh, there, Jeannie, to suggest that you hear stuff like this every day on Capitol Hill. Uh, but this was the candidate Democrats wanted. Remember, they spent money on this to beat Peter Meyer, who would have been a tougher challenge to beat uh, and, and run the risk of this man becoming the representative.
8: Yeah, and, and you know, his his spokesperson uh, came out today, or came out the other day, and said that, you know, he was simply trying to draw attention to the hypocrisy of the feminist movement, yes, but right. you look at some of this language, and you know, I, I think we can all understand being a young person in college or high school and saying things out of turn, but this is a sustained attack against women in the workforce, women in society, women in public office, women even simply exercising their right to vote vote this is you know uh, i think nancy pelosi def- uh, described it very well it, it is over the top and it is disgusting talk and so for them to suggest it was just hypocrisy is stunning I have not supported Democrats supporting these candidates. And he was endorsed by Donald Trump. And this is what Republicans are left with in Michigan. And it's a sad state of affairs.
1: Well, I mean, it also was written in this century, which is uh, noteworthy here. Doug, what does the party do with something like this? You know, when when this news comes back to Washington, uh, to the campaign committees, what do you do?
3: Well, you know, it depends on the circumstance. So what you've seen is Republicans have withdrawn funding for another candidate. Um, who's lied on his um, resume about serving in Afghanistan, uh, which he hadn't done. Um, in a situation like this, they're going to look at the numbers and see if it's winnable or not. They're, they'll accept his explanation, weak though that it is. Uh, but I think this highlights you know, one of the real problems that Republicans have is Um, You know, we we often say that the Trump endorsement combined with the club for growth is what gets you over the line. And and that's true in a lot of these races. But when Donald Trump and Democrats agree on a Republican candidate, that candidate then is unstoppable in the primary. And if any of these candidates get through, then Democrats are going to have a lot to answer for. You know, so often we hear Democrats say we need more Adam Kinzinger's. But the reality is Democrats in Illinois made sure that Adam Kinzinger couldn't run for reelection.
1: Well, you know this is true, and it, it happens uh, in, uh, on both sides, Jeannie. This is a phenomenon I feel like that c- that could get more examination after this election. But then again, it's been going on for years.
3: It has. I've it's... never seen it in a campaign. Is I've that never right, seen Doug? it. Nope. We've talked about it one time in a Senate race and didn't do it because it's not worth it. You think Maybe you mean... not. But now the rules have changed. Sorry, I interrupted. Yeah. No. That's fascinating.
8: Yeah. No. No. It it, it has happened on both sides. I mean, you know, we have seen it happen on both sides i don't i don't agree with democrats doing this particularly since the president has been out talking about how dangerous this rhetoric is yeah that said republicans are left with this candidate and it is likely going to cost them this and seat
1: kamala harris wouldn't even comment on it when given the opportunity the other day fascinating conversation that just keeps on going great to have you back doug thanks for being here doug high republican strategist and Jeannie shanzano bloomberg politics contributor i'm joe matthew in washington Thanks for being with us on the Fastest Hour in Politics. This is Bloomberg.
0: The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor q